So we're going to be in Psalm 139. If you guys can open up your Bibles, that'd be great. Today's title is God's Knowledge of Us. Spurgeon said this of this uh, psalm. He says, David here lies, lays down this great doctrine that the God we have has a perfect knowledge of us and that all the motions and actions, both inward, our minds and thoughts, and our outward man, our actions, and along with our motives, are naked and before him. Right, so this psalm is a psalm of our brother David. David really gives us a clear picture of who God is and what his limitations are. And what are God's limitations? None, right? He doesn't have any limitations. Uh, the God of the universe who created all things knows everything and is everywhere all the time. Uh, it's an awesome psalm when you have questions about how God is towards you. How does God look at me? You know, what, what, are, what are his thoughts towards me? Um, and if he's really with you. It's an awesome psalm to wake up people who think they know everything or might think they're on the, the same playing field uh, as God is. Um, this psalm could bring, should bring so much comfort to us as believers, but also put us in our place too, right? Um, sometimes we get big heads, right? You think you need to get it all in place, um, that you might think that you're greater than God. But we need to be in a place where we give him authority over all of our lives. And as we go through the psalm, we're going to be coming four points for you fancy note takers. Number one, God knows everything, verses one through six. Number two, God is everywhere, verses seven through 12. God is personal. God knows us personally, 13 through 18. And our reaction to God's power, verses 19, 19 to 24. God knows everything. God is everywhere. God knows us personally and our reaction to God's power. So let's read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go over our first point. God knows everything. Okay, so there, 139. All right, verse 1. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind, sorry, you have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. So God knows everything. Can we, question, can we comprehend the knowledge of God, of the Lord? Not attainable, right? We cannot, and we shouldn't try to trying to figure it out or, or if some way you know, can be damaging. I know that all these, these guys at work who have all these degrees, engineering degrees, I work for a water company. Don't ask me about water rates soon. But they can figure out all these flows and so forth and how things, pressures and equations to figure out things. Their knowledge is way up here. I, I, I kind of like, man, you're, you're amazing. But God is so much more you know, amazing than, than the people that we meet every single day. You know, we shouldn't try in any way to be at the same level or try to place ourselves where we consider ourselves equal to God. When we make choices without his recommendations, you are saying, I know better. Who's made choices without God's recommendation? Right, we, all, we all have. But when we do that, we are saying that, hey, God, you know, I got this. You know, even though you might know everything, past, present, and future, I'm going to make this decision without your, your insight here. 
So we, we cannot be at that place. We need to have to come to grips with the majesty of God, of how much he really knows about us, his people, and he knows everything about us. So verse 1 says that he has searched me. The word search is defined as to examine or investigate. The Lord examines us, he checks us out, and he sees us from the inside out unlike anyone else. So the people in our lives we might know well, you know, our spouses might know us best. Parents might know their kids pretty good, best friends, you know, all that stuff. I grew up with a, with a tight knit of cousins, and we can be in a room, things could be going on, and I can look at my cousin and see his facial expression. I'm like, I know what that guy's thinking right now. Like, we know people pretty good, but not, not compared to what, how God knows us. You know, those relationships and, and the qualities of them pale in comparison to the way God knows us. The way I know my wife is not comparable. The way I know my kids doesn't even come close. Right? I, don't, I know them well. Right? I, I could know, I, not their motives, right? but I can see their intentions by the things that they say <laughs> and the things that they do real quick right? because I'm so much around them. But all those things you know, pale in comparison to, the, to how God is towards us. Same applies to all of us here in the relationships that we have. He knows our sitting down and our rising up. He knows what we have done from the time we wake up, from the time we lay our heads in the, on the pillow. There isn't a time in the day when the Lord takes his eyes off of you and of me. There isn't a time in the day. You, now, if you, if you, take, you can take that a few different ways, right? Fear, you know, peace, you know, all that stuff. But the thought that I think we need to come away with is that the Lord wants to be a part of your life, plain and simple. He wants to be a part of it every single moment. He wants us to know that, that he is available to us anytime, anywhere, right? And this should comfort us as his children, that the creator of the universe, the one who casts every star in the sky and knows all of them by name, would want to be constantly by my side. My, my little girl, she, practically every day, she's like, Papa, are you going to work tomorrow? Because she'd rather me be you know, home, right? She'd rather me be home. But you know, changing that, that that thought right to where you know God is always with us always every single day every single hour every minute every second God is with us right that should bring comfort to us you know it's a trip you know the God who placed the sun and the moon there right the earth in its right place and keeps everything in its place in its place perfectly not too far not too close to the sun would want to hang out with me and would want to hang out with you in the second half of verse 2 and 3, they kind of go together. When we go places, where, whether it be physically or, or spiritually, you know, God knows our thoughts and the paths we are taking. He is acquainted with all our ways, and he's familiar with everything we do and think. You know, this, this thought can, can go in different areas in our life, encompass different areas in our life, but I think I, I was hit in, directly in the forehead with is that God knows when I'm slacking off in my service to him uh, in the ministry. Uh, and I know a lot of us serve here in Calvary Chapel Almani, and here, you know, the church's leadership has, has called us to serve however the Lord has called you, right? Whether it be here or there, as long as he's spoken to you, right, and given you marching orders, he wants you to serve him. The mindset to serve him with excellence in an excellent way. To be, to be an excellent ministry, I'm, I'm not sure if we we'll ever get there. That's okay, but it's definitely something we should be striving for or wanting. We, we are all are involved in different ways, but the Lord expects the same from all of us. 
That's pretty much do what he's called you to do. Pretty simple. In the ministry you've been called to, you know, whatever, the children's, the marriage, ushering, you know, cleaning, helps ministry, all those different things. The Lord has placed an overseer over you. The Lord has placed an overseer over me. But I know sometimes I got plenty of excuses not to serve. Who's got excuses here? Don't leave me hanging. Got excuses here. Um, I'll give my overseer an excuse, and it's probably a good excuse to him. You're like, ah, it's all right, Rich. You don't need to serve, and it's all right. Um, but he doesn't know everything I've done during the week or or the day of. He doesn't know how much TV I, or t- how much TV I've watched, or the things I've done uh, that have kept me from doing the things of the ministry. You know, being prepped. But I know who does, and God does. God knows everything I've done. Again, like we've talked about, right? Everything. So it, it is, before I give a reason for not doing something in the ministry, I think I'm going to give it to God first. Right? If it gets past you know, him, then I'll give it to the overseer. Because we can't always do everything, right? Can't be two places at once, or all, you know, i got a family, priorities, all that stuff. But laziness, or even a lack of priorities, shouldn't be a reason why we don't do the things he's called us to do. Amen? Laziness or lack of priorities. Who's got priorities here? Biblical priorities. It's a little more difficult, right? Uh, priorities of the world, you know, different things, you know, so on and so forth. But when you got priorities, biblically speaking, right, your relationship with God, your marriage, your family, your home, the ministry, school, work, that all lines up. It should. Right? Even though it works great, right? Do your best, all those things. Priorities should always be in line. But again, you know, because I got work, you know, I'm going to take my eyes off the ministry for a little bit, right? It'll be there. But what's what's more important, right? What has the Lord given us? And I know we always have to be praying about those things, right? This is what he's telling me. Um, so we can't do everything right. Um, so I'm probably not going to give excuses anymore for not doing anything in the ministry this is what God, God wants me to be doing, right? And God will provide, right? God will give direction, all those things. Um, but we can't, you know, use excuses and for the things that we should be doing but choose not to be, right? And even in the workplace, husband and wives, right, that he's called us to be, God knows if you're slacking off your marriage. God knows I'm slacking off my marriage. I could be doing so much more for my marriage. I could be doing so much more as a dad for my family. I could be doing so much more as a brother to my brothers in the ministry. So much more. But most of all, you know, everything, God wants to help you in these areas. God wants to help you along in service to him in your in your responsibilities in your home. Right? God wants to help you. Verse 4, there is not a word on my tongue that the Lord doesn't know about. This is not speaking of the words spoken from us, right? But it's talking about the words on our tongue, which we, the words that don't come out. I've always been one not to talk very much. I'll be quiet. But if you talk to me, I'll talk to you, right? But it's kind of like the way I've, I've, been, I've been a thinker most of my life. Um, not a good thing to be a thinker, I think. But sometimes, you know, um, you know I, I, I did good by not saying something to that person at the store. Or I did good by not telling, you know, my family, you know, that they were wrong. Right, or use those words, right? But, but you know, the Lord's listening, right? Even, even up here, you know, ah, that guy's... Right, the Lord sees all those things, hears all those things. 
It says at the end of the verse, it says, Oh Lord, you know it all together. All together you know. So those are the scripture speaks of the unheard you know, thoughts we have in our in our lives. He can help us, you know, tame our tongue and you know help us take our thoughts captive. Right? But how much more we need to focus on, you know, God, God's aware. Right? God, God knows those things. So we say so much, you know, we hear that, you know, God doesn't hear my prayers, right? God doesn't answer my prayers. Why isn't he answering these things? He's ignoring me. Am I valuable to him, right? Because he is not responding, and that is a lie, right? From the pit of hell that, lot, that God doesn't see what you're going through, that God is not aware of your circumstances. God isn't aware of your struggles. It is a lie, he sees everything. The, the psalm confirms that no matter what our minds think or what our heart might feel, God hears. Pretty standard biblical truth, right? And I think we're, we're going over that with the, 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 the sparks. God knows, God hears, but how often do we forget those things? It needs to be constantly in our minds, you know, because it is truth. God is listening and hearing and will move as he de- determines it's appropriate to move. We're impatient sometimes, right? I'm impatient all the time. He has put a hedge behind me and before me. This hedge speaks of protection, to secure, to shut in, to enclose. The Lord knows our days. He and his hand are on our past, present, and future. Our days on this earth are all according to his knowledge. He gave us life and he continues to bless us with days on this earth until his plan for our lives is over. Some sooner than others, right? Talking to a dear sister earlier, and you know, it's, why, Lord, why, why'd you do that? But again, right, his knowledge is way up there. Knowledge is way up there. Now, as believers, we should take extreme comfort in that. I, I know we all have circumstances, and that varies from house to house. Um, but we all have that that future dwelling place in heaven together. Amen. If you if you've taken Except that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have that eternal dwelling place. So that should bring us together to rejoice in whatever situation we're in. The the end game, right? The the end. We will be in heaven one day. I'm not sure how the Lord can can know all this, right? It's it's lofty for us, right? But He is a Lord and He is God. Chuck Smith said this as I look back and see the hand of God on my life. I'm sure we can all say that, right? I look back and see the hand of God on my life. And I see God's plan ahead, and I see God's plan before me. And right now I feel the hand of God upon me. You see I'm surrounded. My past, present, and future is all wrapped up with God. You beset me behind and before, and your hand is upon me. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Psalm 145, verse 5, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. So God knows everything, amen? Number two, God is everywhere. Verses 7 through 12. Let's read. It says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. So here's another one of God's attributes, right? The qualities of the Lord has and he is everywhere. You know, I kind of touched on this a little bit in the first point, but it's totally different. You know, God is everywhere. It's not like God is in everything. I think that's called pantheism. Um, But the Lord, you know, his spirit, himself being everywhere all the time. Only God has this quality. Um, We cannot begin to comprehend how big and powerful you know, our God is, we cannot flee from his spirit or his presence. We cannot get to a place where we can escape from the Lord. Heaven, he is there, even speaks that it mentions hell, he is there. I just say that. It's kind of hard to come to grasp with, right? Uh, I'm not sure how it all works, but I know the judgment and punishment that we're given, right? By our choice to go there. God is giving that out. Kind of weird you know, to think about it, but it's true. It's crazy that it says that I make my bed in hell. I think that that's where we get that saying, you made your bed, now you can lie in it, right? This expression is commonly used as a response to people who have been complaining about problems they brought on themselves. This further emphasizes the truth that, that people choose the route to hell, Correct? People choose the route to go there. You know, I made my bed in hell and the consequences of it. You made the decision and now you must accept its consequences. But if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have made an eternal decision, right? The decision of eternal life. Amen? Choice. A choice you need to make. Will all, we will all, you know, eventually, right, come to grips with that. You know, no matter how fast we go or how far our legs can take us, he will be there. You know, with wings, maybe flying. Who likes to fly? Airplanes. All right, a few people out there. Um, maybe to another country, you know, he will be with you. I took so much comfort in that. You know, a couple of times we've gone to Cambodia. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to go so far away. Who's going to watch my family, all that stuff? Who's going to be with my wife? Who's going to be with her and my family? The Lord is, right? He can be with me over there, and he's going to watch over them while I'm gone, right? Even if I'm here, you know, I'll probably mess things up anyways, right? We cannot cannot escape his presence. In verse 9, most commentators believe that this is a reference to the morning light. With the quickness that the sun touches the earth, who likes them waking up early in the morning? A few morning people. The sun opens up, and it flashes, right? That fast. If you were that fast, you still could not get away from God. God is still there, right? The Lord will be right by your side. It says, even there, your hand shall lead me, and his right hand holds us up. Verse 11 and 12 speak of darkness. And what is darkness usually in reference to? Good or bad? Very bad. It's not good. It's usually in reference to evil or sin. But when darkness comes, evil usually comes with it. People use the darkness as an opportunity to steal, to hurt, to get away with things. And... I mean, even in the light of day today, right? People are doing evil. The darkness hides us from from the eyes of human beings. My mom never knew what I was doing out in the night, supposedly. But it also almost hides what we're doing from ourselves, too, right? Kind of like a 
I don't see that. It's less offensive. I do it in the dark, so to speak. But like it says in verse 12, the Lord, the night shines as the day. To the Lord, the night shines as the day. So the NLT says this. This is to you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So the Lord, the Lord, to the Lord, nothing is done in secret. People sleep. People get robbed. The Lord sees. People go out and party at night. The Lord sees. There is no way. Everyone say no way. No way to get away from the Lord. Daniel 2, it says, He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes, of him to whom we must give an account. So with these first two points, you know, of God being all-knowing and everywhere all the time, you have to wonder why we would go anywhere else, you know, when we have trials in our lives. You know, going through crazy things in our lives. And I have to admit, I've done it many times when we are, you know, going through crazy stuff. You know, my first reaction is, you know, wasn't up, so to speak, but was picking up the phone, sending a text and, and telling or asking another human, you know, I needed help. I needed someone to calm me down. And whom did I go to either, you know, sometimes my, no offense, but hun, sometimes I go to my wife, sometimes I go to my, my pastor, my mom, you know, all those things. Someone who didn't know all the details and someone who wasn't God. Who's done that? Go to another human being, right? Someone, you, got, you grab this person who will be on your side right in the argument, who, who will boost your confidence that, that you are right. I've done that quite a bit. We should, and I should never go and ask anyone before the Lord. You know, that should be implanted in our heads, you know. As we go over this psalm, you know, let it soak in. It should always be get on my knees time before, you know, pick up, picking up the phone. And so much quicker also. God knows everything, right? He knows everything of my circumstances. He was there with you as you went through the little trial. And he was with everybody else. He knows who was involved. You know, you don't have to tell him everything and get yourself all riled up again. You guys ever do that? You're like, you know what, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, your heart's boiling again. You're in the flesh again. You don't have to, you can't leave any detail out either. The Lord knows everything. You can start right away with just prayer and asking for direction, forgiveness, and get it right. It makes things a lot easier, and it's the quickest way to make things right with you and the Lord and also with everyone else, right? You can say, you know, Lord, you know, I'm going through all this stuff, and the Lord's like, you know, I... I I know I knew your motives as far as why you did that. Or I, I knew what you were thinking during that argument. Or I, I knew your how you were looking at my son and how you dealt with my son. I knew how you were you know dealing with my daughter the week previous. Right? So you can't get away from with anything when you take it to the Lord, right? It's like an open book. Right? So as you as you as you go to God, right? But he's, he's, his intentions, right, is not to you know, demean you, right, or make you feel bad. He wants you to get right. But also be aware of the things where you might fall short, right? Because we don't know things, right, all the time. But his intention is to make you right with him and then get you right with everyone else around you, right? Your, your wife, your husband, your kids, anything. But that's what he wants you to do, right? And that's our, our knee-jerk decision. 
get right with God, right? Because he knows everything, right? He's, he's on your side, but he's not going not gonna to be on your side sometimes, right? He's going to make things aware to you that you've done wrong. And that's a good thing, amen? He's going to make you aware of things that you've done wrong, but he's going to do it in a way where he says, son, you know, you shouldn't have did that. Or daughter, you know what? I love you so much, but hey, you, you were wrong in this situation, right? And with that delivery from him, right, he's going to make you make choices that, that glorify his name. Because if someone else tells you you're wrong, you'd be like, hey, man, you know I shouldn't have talked to you, right? More often than not. All right, verses 13 and 18. It says, For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Here I saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So this almost describes the intimacy which God had with him, you know, in the most secret part, his reigns, and in his most secret condition yet unborn. He was under the control and guardianship of God. So when we be, when when did your life begin? You know, according to the Lord, your life began way before you came out of your mama's belly, right? way before that. It says right there that the Lord formed your inward parts and your mother's womb covered you. The word covered means to entwine as a screen, to fence in, to protect, to defend. And it still trips me out, you know, how the Lord started to put us all together in our mother's womb. All together in our mother's room. Week number four in your mother's room. Little buds are beginning to develop and will form into arms and legs. The heartbeat begins to beat, even though it's still early in its development. Week number eight, about an inch and a half long. The baby is now referred to as a fetus. The human appearance of the baby is now unmistakable. A protruding nose and eyelids begin to form. The basic structure of the vital organs of the body is established. Week 12, four inches, about one and a half ounces. The brain begins to coordinate the, the contraction of the muscles so the baby can begin to flex his arms elbows and wrists and fingers. The baby begins to use his facial muscle to move its eyebrows and purse its lips. Week 18 to 22, 18 to 12, 18, or 10 to 11 inches, um, true bone begins to replace cartilage. And this is a trip. I looked it up, okay? So this is right. Girls will now have 6 million developing egg cells in the ovaries in the womb. At this stage, the mother begins to feel the baby's movements, and by this time, the baby clearly feels pain. Um, week 23 to 26, and this is the stage where we say it's okay for an abortion. The baby's pancreas is now starting to function. The lungs are beginning to mature, right? And the baby's vertebrae column is also maturing. 32 to 36, 45 pounds, hard jabs and punches are evidence to the mother that the baby is continuing to grow. Hair on the baby's head, eyelashes, and eyebrows is clearly seen now. The baby's brain is extremely active, and the pupils can dilate or contract in response to light. Uh, week 37 through 40, baby's about done. 
uh, six to eight pounds. By this time, the pregnancy is full, considered full term. The baby gains weight quickly during this stage, about half an ounce a day during these weeks. The baby's coordination allows him to him or her to grasp things as well, and the baby prepares for delivery. So the Lord made the womb of the mother to be a place of, of development and to be secure, a place right of a growing baby, and it's become something filthy, right? The womb has become a, a murder scene in the early stages. Leave it to us humans to totally change the scene that the Lord planned for growth and peace to now be a place of, of murder and fear. This has continued to become a conversation that that gets me so upset, right? As previously mentioned, though, you know, it's like, does, does God really see what's going on, you know, in this? Does does he hear? Does he does he see everything people are doing? And does he? He does, right? He sees all these things. That's the only thing. I'm sure you guys are with me. That's the only thing that keeps me from strangling people sometimes, honestly. Because God's going to get them, right? All these things that we go through, that we see, and not even just, you know, the whole, you know, sanctity of life, but everything that happens in this world, right? The Lord sees those things and he hears our cries, right? It says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I think this gives us some insight to how we are to protect life and how we are, you know, supposed to reverence the sanctity of life and we are to be fearful of someone's life along with the protection of life in itself. You know, and when I say that, I simply mean that we are to totally to recognize who's given us life, right? God's given every life in this room, every life in this world. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they what disabilities they have, you know, you know what color they are, anything. God values that life. Amen. He values that life and when we see that person made in God's image, we also need to value that life as well. Treat it correctly, right? Doesn't matter. When you look at someone, you know, especially, you know, your children, you have to realize that you know that that they're wonderful. For all those kids up here, right? You want to come up here I'm already crying. Right? Because they they are wonderful. Wonderful. Their qualities, their eyes, their senses, you know, the internal organs, everything about us, even, even you guys here, is wonderful. Everything. The main reason being is that we're made in God's image and we are supremely valuable to him. Right? His special creation. The way the way the body is made, the design of our bodies is evidence of God's you know, fingerprints. The brain itself has so many things in there. Neurons, connections that are constantly adapting to actions, memories, movements, etc. I read this article, and I think we have an image up there, but how our brain is, is laid out like a bookshelf. The brain functions like a bookshelf with limited shelf space. If you need to add pages to one of the books, you know, add pages, then you must, you know, take from another book right, you know, for the nearby books, but it, it, if two parts of the body, such as the thumb and index finger, are located next to each other physically, you know, on your hand, they also have corresponding neurons that are next to each other in the brain. 
Although the neurons in the brain mirror the arrangement of the body parts, they do not mirror the relative size of the body parts. So for example, while our arms or legs are much bigger, right, than our thumb and our lips, they occupy less space in our brain. The fingers need more space because they require so many more neurons to control the fine motor, motor skills and the delicate sensations on our lips sometimes. Makes sense, right? But interestingly, if a finger is amputated or the nerve to the finger is destroyed, the neurons that were located for that finger right, become reallocated to the adjacent finger. So one finger almost becomes more sensitive. Fearfully and wonderfully made, right? You know, God has created us that way. You know, in his image, you know, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in our own image, in his own image, in the image of God, he created male and female, he created them. What a great honor that is, right? I know that, that whenever there is a baby born, everyone kind of decides what they look like, right? God's fingerprints all over that baby. That's so cool. Like it says in, verse, in the last part of verse 14, all the Lord's works are marvelous. Can you deny that? All the Lord's works are marvelous. If you look deep down in your soul, all the things the Lord has given you and supplied you, our soul should be totally in tune to how good our God is. We might have gone through some crazy things in our life. God is still good. He can't be anything but good. Anything but that. David, when he was writing this psalm, must have been in a place in his life where he could not doubt in his heart of hearts you know, how marvelous the works of the Lord were. There is no denying how much the Lord has blessed us, right? We should be very grateful and thankful to him. The Lord even spending time with us in the womb, you know, he saw our substance. And now, you know, how we are being skillfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb, the size of a period, you know, to the size of a newborn, you know, some varying size. There's a couple of 10-pound babies in first service. Any 10-pounders here? You guys won't admit it, huh? <laughs> but some 8 pounds, some 10 pounds, you know, all those things, you know, the evidence... Of that is that the, he was there with us. And even how, you know, I can never, you know, I think I'll never know, right? Some of these newborns, there's a few here and in the, in the, lately in the ministry, but even how newborns smile, right? What in the world are they smiling at? My kids, when they were small, right out of the womb, they would smile. I'm, I'm, I'm funny sometimes, but I'm not that funny, right, to where, you know, I could make them smile. But I imagine, right, that the newborn smiling, you know, and giggling right out of the womb. Um, what else could it be other than the Lord talking with them, right? Spending time with them. Maybe even sharing the things that he has planned for their life. All, all they do is eat and sleep at that age, right? And other things. But more specifically, right, the, the I think the Lord is spending valuable time with them like it says in verse 16 right crazy there but you know they haven't experienced anything yet you know all they do you know normal things only the lord could do all these things only he can have every day planned out for our lives even when we not even have one day i think the lord is talking with them spending precious time with them there are many people that are close to me many people that i think about and pray most of my thinking and thoughts are like i've mentioned before about my family you know, I love them so much. I want to be, you know, there for them. I want to protect them. I want them to be okay. I want you guys to be okay. My church family. All the concerns that I have for them, you know, that makes me think about them and you guys regularly. 
but you know how much the Lord wants to be a part of your life that way. You know how much He thinks about you. He thoughts about you are precious. That's a, that's a, a, a girly word there, but it talks about being highly valued and being esteemed and costly to the Lord. His thoughts are so many towards us, so much that He thinks about us. They are they, you can't count them. Right, the kind of thoughts, and what kind of thoughts does he have towards us? Thoughts of peace, right? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Next time you go to the beach, you know sand gets everywhere, right? Gets in between your toes, gets in your car after, getting in your car the next day. But all those little grains of sand are thoughts of the Lord about you. You know, I can't, can't comprehend that. But even even a handful of sand is a lot, but all the sand and all the sand and all the beaches, and that's crazy how much the Lord thinks about you. And that's a little visual there that He's given us to show us how He really, really wants the best of us. You know, He wants he, we are how precious we are to Him, so precious that He sent His Son to die for you. Amen. So precious that He sent His Son to die for you. Right? That way you can spend eternal life with Him through His Son Jesus Christ in a way that must be chosen by each of us individually. And we need to make that choice. If you haven't, do it today. Last, our last point, then we'll wrap it up. Um, our reaction to God's power. Verses 19-24. Through 24. It says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak evil, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So reading this psalm, I'm not sure what kind of feeling you get, you know, God is everywhere, God knows everything, and, and you being personally involved with us. But it should give you, you know, some urgency, right? To really live a life that's pleasing to God. To really live a life that's pleasing to Him all the time. And here David, you know, kind of gives some details about, you know, dealing with wicked people and the things they do. He doesn't want to be involved with them. He draws a clear line in the sand that they are not good and he wants to separate himself you know, from the enemies of God. And you know, these people he's referencing here are people who stand up against the Lord you know, and they are defiant against his ways. They are bloodthirsty men, men who take the name of the Lord in vain. And David makes a stand saying that he loathes them who rise up against the Lord. Those who speak evil of God, he hates them with a perfect hatred and he counts them as his own enemies. So I bet if I, I gave you a piece of paper and I told you to write down some of your enemies, some of you guys would probably have long lists, right? But we have to be really, really careful with that. Right? The word hate means what it means, hatred. We know that, biblically speaking, we are not supposed to hate people, right? No hatred towards people. Hatred towards the sin and what they are practicing. Um, very clear we are not to associate or accept people's ideas or philosophies against the God that we serve. We should not accept them. It should not get into our brains and our hearts that that is good, what's done in darkness, that that is acceptable to me, what's done in secret. Right? It should not be with us. 
So it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Don't be involved with those types of things. Right? David would just settle in his own heart, declaring that he wants nothing to do with sin or unrighteousness, unrighteous people. People who are against the Lord. He wants no closeness to them. And we should be like David and hate as God hates, and it comes with no evil behind it. Hate what God hates, right? But also respond with no evil behind it. It it needs to come with an earnest and sincere desire that the purposes of God must stand, right? What God wants and what God says is good needs to stand, and evil and wickedness needs to fall. Black and white, correct? Good, yes. Evil, no. If we do not hate the sin, We are accepting the evil and putting God on the back end of our convictions. And like we went over before, it's it's their deeds that we need to hate and not and separate, you know, not from the people that are doing them, you know, reach out to them, you know, reach the lost, but have no relation with the sin. Imagine if that was God's heart toward us. Hate the sinner. You know, hating the people. Would any, any of us be here? No, right? We would all receive judgment. This is, this is David's heart and response, I think, in knowing that, that God knows all and that he is everywhere, and it should be our reaction as well. In the last two verses, we see that, that David knows that he isn't perfect, right? And we all need you know, to know that, we all know that he fell a few times, and just like all of us have, until we go home to heaven, we will you know, make mistakes. But David submits himself to the Lord and gives him access to his heart, tells him, Lord, you know, show me what's wrong with me. Show me where I fall short. Uh, show me where I'm failing you. Am I grieving you in any way, Lord? Right? The word search in verse 23, you know, it means to penetrate, to get inside, to examine intimately, and to find out. David wants the Lord to search him. David asking for trouble? Probably good trouble, though, right? Good trouble, Right? David, as we should as well, should let God inside because sometimes we, you know, we come, we become dull or, or even insensitive to sin. You know, we don't see it, and these thoughts come from a person who is not trying to to plead their innocence, right? David isn't saying here, you know, Lord, I'm good. You know, take a look wherever you want, or, or Lord, you know, uh, access, go ahead. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna find anything. You know, it comes from a heart, a, a, a place of confession. David is talking right here. A place to where, you know, where, you know, he has been in the presence of God, right? And has been convicted of his sinfulness. I think that that's most of the time where we should be. Where you spend time with God and you're like, Lord, you know, I, I don't have anything under control. But I know who you are. I know what you can do. And I need some help. Right? Get inside me and help me. So it's a person who realizes that he or she might not know everything wrong in their life and gives clear entrance, you know, carte blanche to the Lord in every aspect of their life so that iniquity can be dealt with effectively, right? It's not just knowing what's wrong. It's, it's, it's dealing with that problem and dealing with it biblically and, and giving it to the Lord, right? And he'll help you get rid of it. Lord, The Lord will reveal if there's anything wicked, any wicked way in you only if you ask him to. If you don't ask the Lord for any help, you know, the Holy Spirit will, will minister to you right and help you as well. But, you know, as long as we need to be open. Right? Chuck Smith said this on 
like this overall idea. It says, now the work of the Holy Spirit is not only revealing Christ to us, but revealing ourselves to us. How often the Holy Spirit reveals to me the truth about myself, my reaction, my response to a situation, the Holy Spirit will say, all right, Chuck, now that was wrong. That wasn't Christ-like. That wasn't a Christ-like spirit. You weren't responding in love. You were angry with them. And I usually say, you know, yes, I am, Lord. I'm right. I have that right to be angry. And then he starts dealing with me as he reveals those errors in my life that are not yet been brought to the cross, not yet, not yet brought into conformity to Jesus Christ. Those areas of self that are still there that he is desiring to give me victory over. The Holy Spirit's work is that of revealing to us those areas in our life that are, that are displeasing to God. And the work will continue every day until you are in heaven, right? We will never be perfect. So as we communicate with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will reveal things wrong in your life and we are not to be focused you know, on other people. Be focused on yourself and your own struggles. We have, I have enough. That struggle is to be, you know, looking at someone else. When you ask him, he will lead you in dealing with your struggles, you know, and even to everlasting life. References, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 5, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Psalm 143, verse 10. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. So in studying this psalm, I've been dealing with a lot of things. You know, like I mentioned some priorities earlier and even you know, losing focus and being just angry with the things going on in this world. Who's been angry with me? everything going on in this world. This psalm kept coming up in studies I've listened to, you know, references that have been used in this psalm and God dealing with me. With me. We have VBS, one of the theme, Sanctity of Life, right, verse 14. You know, it's been, you know, a little difficult, but this, this is how serious we need to, you know, to take sin in our lives, you know. It separates a country from God, right? It separates a country from God. It separates individuals from the Lord, we need to seriously, you know, take sin seriously. Do you guys take sin seriously? Or you guys, ah, I'm a sinner. I'm okay. Something wrong in your life, something that's not glorifying God, deal with it, please. Right? We have pastors here that'll, that'll you know, point you to the Lord, you know, for counseling and so forth. Marriage is going through struggles. How many marriages go through struggles? All of them, right? We have the marriage ministry here, opportunities to get fed and also, you know, to encourage you guys. The men's studies, the women's studies, they're all there for you to help in your walk with the Lord. But if you're like, ah, I got control of it. I don't, I don't need my brother's help. I don't need my sister's help. Right? You, are, you are going down a road alone, right? Alone. So really take the opportunities, right? Even in this psalm here, the Lord knows and sees, right? Right? Even the stuff that, you know, the things that we go through every day, don't accept sin in your life, right? God will help us through it all. You can think of Jonah, right? Different people in the Bible who have ran from God, 
who think they can get away from God and what he wants to do in your life, God will pursue you, correct? God will pursue you in his love to be able to want to get you to a place where you submit yourself in humility, right, knowing that he is God and he wants to use my puny life for his glory, right, to save a soul, right, to save my family, right, to lead my family, to teach my kids, right? He wants to use your life. So in review, God knows all, surpasses everything we might know, and it's beyond our thinking. God is everywhere. Can't hide from him, right? Everything we do, he is there with us. God is personal. He made us intimately, and he wants to be a part of our lives intimately. And our reaction to all these things is, you know, deal with sin, separate ourselves from, from anything that anyone will want to do against the Lord, and allow the Lord to look inside and help you deal with your struggles as he leads you into eternity. Amen.